Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from U.S. tax reform to the EU's latest developments. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's U.S. International Tax Services leader. You can find me on Twitter at XBorderTax. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, we're in our D.C. studio, where I'm excited to be joined by Nils Cousin. Nils is a director in our Washington National Tax Services practice, focusing on international taxation with a heavy emphasis on inbound to the U.S. Nils, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to have you here to talk about, first of all, the 863B regulations that recently came out. But before we dive into really any of the kind of specifics associated with the regulations, I feel like one of the great mysteries of U.S. international taxation is how and when we determine, particularly whether a foreign person is subject to tax in the U.S. We have this, what I think is a relatively complex statutory framework. We have a very complex regulatory framework. And then we also have treaties that sit on top of all of these things. What we're going to be focusing on today is really the statutory and the regu- regulatory framework. I'm sure treaties will come up and because they can provide exceptions to some of these general rules. But fundamentally, what we're going to be talking today about is sourcing. And so before we even dive into to any of those, the regulatory and the statutory framework, let's remind our listeners why is sourcing important? And, and I'll let you kind of focus on and talk a little bit about determining U.S. tax. And then, of course, we would be remiss if I didn't mention the foreign tax credit and why that's important. But uh, why is sourcing and why is sourcing important? Sure. Well, we've got, you know, as you said, these very complicated rules to determine when a foreign person is going to be subject to U.S. tax. And which rule applies depends on the type of income that you're earning. It depends on whether you're engaged in a U.S. trade or business, and it depends on the source of income. And, you know, I think today, because we're going to eventually get into this 863B stuff, we're probably going to focus more on a foreign person selling property, right? And there we have to think about different rules that would apply for the sale of inventory property versus the sale of capital assets. And there are different source rules that could apply to make the either of those U.S. source versus foreign source. Um, and in either case, if you are, if a foreign person is engaged in a U.S. trade or mm-hmm. business, any U.S. source inventory sales are going to be subject to U.S. tax. And treaties may modify this, but as right. a general domestic law um, matter, that is the case. Some foreign source inventory sales could at least theoretically, also be subject to U.S. tax. On the other hand, with capital assets, U.S. source gain from capital asset sales may or may not be subject to U.S. tax. There are some additional hurdles you have to to run through. So that's why uh, that's important. Yeah. So the the first piece then is really, do we have a a, a U.S. trader business, right? right? And then once we've determined, and then there is a whole bunch of case law and you know, guidance out there as far as how we determine whether we have a U.S. trade or business. Mm-hmm. Once we've determined whether we have a U.S. trade or business, then we need to determine, well, what portion of that, if any, should be subject to tax in the U.S.? And then we would look to generally the sourcing provisions to determine whether it's U.S. source or foreign source income. Generally, the U.S. source income is subject to U.S. tax. The foreign source income is not, although there are exceptions like any good tax rule for, you know, under a force of attraction, which we'll get into, that can sometimes bring in foreign source income subject to U.S. tax. 
the the other reason then so so that helps determine for a foreign person that's has a US trade or business you know what if any income is subject to US tax these sourcing rules are also important for for purposes of the foreign tax credit limitation which we won't focus on too much on 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 this particular podcast obviously there's been a lot of coverage on the cross border tax talks podcast related to the foreign tax credit and the foreign tax credit limitation but the 863B rule, which we'll get into, generally said that if you've got property that's ma- manufactured in the U.S. for export, for example, 50% of that income would be foreign source for purposes of determining the amount of foreign tax credits that a taxpayer could take. And so the same sourcing rules that generally apply for determining whether a foreign person is subject to U.S. tax, those also apply for purposes of determining the foreign tax credit limitation. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to remind our listeners kind of that two distinction, but we're really going to be focusing on whether we've got U.S. taxation for purposes of this podcast. So let's unpack sort of those those general rules, as, as you had mentioned before we kind of dive in, because you had talked about personal property versus inventory property. So I'll let you pick kind of where you want to start, but remind us, or what are the, the general kind of statutory framework associated with, uh, with those two types of, of property? And we'll assume, right, that you have a U.S. trader business. Right. We're going to assume U.S. trader business because uh, when we're focusing here on the sale of property, uh, generally speaking, there would not be any U.S. tax imposed unless you are engaged in a U.S. trader business. That's actually very different from uh, other types of income, like interest income mm-hmm. or royalty income, which could be subject to a withholding tax, even if you're not engaged in a U.S. trader business. So we're going to assume you've got a U.S. trader business, and we're going to focus on sales of personal property. And so, you know, that's that. Uh, think of uh, actual physical assets for purpose of this discussion, right. maybe, right? And uh, without wanting to throw out too many code sections, really Section 865 is where all these rules are contained. And there's a very a general rule which says the source is the residence of the taxpayer. So you would think, if you go no further, that whenever a foreign person sells personal property, it's going to be foreign source income and therefore probably not subject to U.S. tax. There are two really important exceptions to that rule in Section 865. And the first one is one that applies only to inventory property. And it says if you're selling inventory property, the general rule is not the residence of the seller. It's actually title passage. And so that's where is the property located when title passes to the buyer. And so, you know, given that if, for example, a foreign person maintains a stock of inventory in the United States and then sells that, then you've got U.S. source income from that. And then the other I think really important exception is what we uh, call the U.S. office rule. And what that, that rule applies both to inventory property and to non-inventory property. And what it says is if a foreign person maintains an office or a fixed place of business in the United States, then the gain from the sale of any personal property is a, that's attributable to that office is going to be treated as U.S. source income. Now, uh, that itself is subject to a exception. Mm-hmm. Uh, that exception applies to inventory property and says, notwithstanding this U.S. office uh, selling the property, if the property is inventory property and it's sold for use or consumption outside the U.S. and a foreign office materially participates, then that turns off this U.S. office rule. It doesn't make it foreign source. It just kicks you right back into the title passage rule. 
And and so I, I that one is is very I think important, right? So that if you are a, a, a foreign individual or a foreign corporation, even if you have a U.S. office or fixed place of business, right, mm-hmm. or a U.S. trader business, and correct me if I go wrong with some of these defined terms, and uh, and, and you've got foreign sales, mm-hmm. right, where that that foreign corporation is materially participating in those sales. Even though you've got a U.S. person that is somewhat involved, if the foreign individual materially participates, then that income is not subject to U.S. tax. Right, as long as you also pass title outside of the U.S. Title, as right? long as title passes <laughs> oh, outside yes. the outside the U.S. Exactly, and and one thing that we're going to probably get into a little bit later, which is I think really interesting, um, you know, Section 865 has a sort of parallel rule for U.S. taxpayers where. Um, if they have sales attributable to a foreign office, it can be uh, it, it can be foreign source. Um, a, an interesting thing that's different here is that the introductory language to this U.S. office rule for foreign taxpayers uh, starts with these sort of magic words, notwithstanding any other provision of the of the Internal Revenue Code, basically. And so we've had in the past, um, you know, a, a hard time, I think. Um, figuring out just how expansive uh, that introductory language really is. Right. Um, so, so a- anything else, or should we should we move to the eight sixty three B? I mean, I think that kind of covers the the foundation of of the, those general rules. Anything else in in eight sixty five or eight sixty five E as far as that framework that that we should we should hit? I think that's it for now. Okay. So so let's then move to to, to tax reform. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have this rule that I've spent a lot of time with over my career, again, focused more on the foreign tax credit as mm-hmm. a guy who spent a good portion of his career doing U.S. outbound uh, work and particularly in the foreign tax credit space where we focused on 863B for, for particularly for U.S. manufacturers and a guy growing up in the Midwest where we had a lot of you know consumer product as well as industrial product companies where we manufactured in the U.S. for export. And 863B was always a rule that I thought was, I viewed it as taxpayer friendly to be able to say that, well, if you manufacture in the U.S. and then you export that property, then 863 with foreign title passage, right, Mm -hmm. that then 50% of that income would be foreign source. 50% 50% of that income would be U.S. source. And for, for those companies that were paying foreign taxes and had a foreign tax credit, and this is before guilty and everything else, you know, that was generally general basket foreign source income. So companies could use excess credits potentially that they had to be able to soak up those uh, or to be able to use the limitation to, to soak up those credits. And so companies would would, would be mindful to make sure that they had foreign title passage, for example, to be able to fall within those rules. Well, when U.S. tax reform came in um, a couple of years ago now, I can't believe it's been a couple of years, that changed those rules to say, no, we're going to look solely at place of manufacture, mm-hmm. right? And so from as the foreign tax credits, just like, all right, well, you know, if it's manufactured in the U.S. for export, doesn't matter where the title transfers. Now we don't have foreign source income. And for those that have are fans of the cross-border tax talks, we know about all the foreign tax credit limitation issues that U.S. taxpayers now have with the guilty basket and the general basket. But why was that? Help me understand and remind me, why was that 863B? How does that factor into our, whether we have U.S. tax analysis? And I know there were some ties to 865 mm-hmm. that created a number of complications as a result of the change from the U.S. tax reform. Sure. So... 
you know, it, it's interesting that you mention on mention the impact on the outbounds, right? But 863B is really a sourcing rule. And right. so it applies just as much to inbounds to folks who are foreign taxpayers who are manufacturing abroad and selling into the U.S. Um, now, I think the change to 863B was really done for the reasons you described. But those of us who do more inbound taxation, um, you know, we were sort of left, I guess, scratching our heads a little bit. What does this really mean for the inbounds? So to back up a little bit, where were we before the change, right? What 863B really says is that if you manufacture inside the U.S. and sell outside or vice versa, you have to allocate um, your income to the production activity and to the sales activity. And then the production activity portion you have to source based on the place of production. And then the sales activity portion you'd have to source under the sales rules. And then the regulations under 863B, uh, which again applied both to U.S. and non-U.S. taxpayers, said you do 50-50 uh, or you can use one of these alternative methods. There was something called the uh, independent factory price method, which which I think we'll just ignore because it's gone now. Yep. And then there was a books and records method that basically said, look, if you can establish through you know transfer pricing principles that there should be more allocated to the manufacturer activity versus the sales activity or vice versa, then then you could use that. So in other words, the Vidi Vidi was really like a safe harbor unless you could yes. establish through books and records that you had a better way to do it or could substantiate it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and well, I mean, and, and you, it may be different for the outbounds here than, than for the inbounds. Um, I think for uh, just because of relative value of sales activity versus non-sales activity. Sure. Right. And so prior to this change, if you had a inbound company that had a uh, was you know manufacturing abroad and then selling into the U.S., right, if they didn't have a U.S. office, then I think you're pretty clearly in the 863B rules and you would say, look, uh, part of this is production. So that's foreign source. And part of it is going to be uh, sourced under the sales uh, you know, title passage if it's inventory property, which it usually is if you're also producing it. Um, if your sales activity is attributable to a U.S. office, that's when you have this uh, this problem of, well, okay, 863B tells me that part of it I should source under production activity, but I'm still selling property. And 865E2 says it applies notwithstanding any other provision mm -hmm. of the code. So does that really override um, the 863B rules? That, that was an issue that we used to face. And while the IRS had never issued regulations being clear on that, and the 863B rules certainly did not say that they would override the U.S. office rule. Um, they referred only to title passage. The IRS, at least informally, had, even where sales were attributable to a U.S. office, let uh, people you know, use the 50-50 method. Now, the, the reality was that most foreign companies that had this issue would have been a little bit worried about the U.S. office rule overriding things, and so they would have not had a... Um, foreign corporation just use a U.S. sales branch, right? right? They would probably sell to an affiliate instead, um, you know, and, and of course the affiliate then has the sales income. Uh, and, and, and so it was easy enough to get around this. Uh, yeah, just to not right. have to do with the issue. So, so yeah. just to un unpack that, just to make sure that, that, that I understand that, you know, as opposed to having the branch and then kind of getting square within this issue, just set up a U.S. corporation 
have the sales activities in that U.S. corporation so that the foreign corporation does not have a U.S. office or fixed place of business. And then the transfer pricing would then determine the amount of income, you know, related to those sales activities and you'd pay U.S. tax on that. So you wouldn't have to kind of even get into this debate of this, whether 863B should apply and then how you allocate the income between the manufacturing activities and the sales activities. So a more sophisticated taxpayer would just say, listen, we know we've got activities in the U.S. We know we're going to be paying U.S. tax. We'll just set up a U.S. corporation and then figure out the appropriate amount of income attributable to those activities. Exactly. So, all right, so that's pre-reform, right? right. So so then what, what about post-reform? Right. So post-reform, now you have this change to 863B that essentially turns off this allocation rule, and it just says where you're producing and selling uh, – the source is going to be 100% the place of production. So in my example now of a, uh, a foreign corporation that's manufacturing outside the U.S. and then selling into the U.S., uh, well, now everything is foreign source. And while foreign source inventory sales can, in theory, uh, be subject to U.S. tax, it's really pretty hard for them to actually be subject to U.S. tax. So on the one hand, you have uh, this this provision that, you know, certainly was scored as a revenue raiser and for the exporters, the U.S. companies that are exporting will likely increase their tax. It is a provision that also applies parallel, applies to the inbounds. And so for them, uh, in general, there was this question of, you know, would this be a helpful rule that would lower their tax? Of course, now you get into this situation again of we still got that U.S. office rule and that notwithstanding any other provision language, and so there were, there's, I think there was a lot of concern um, that the U.S. office rule could override this. And, and you know, people were uh, wondering whether there was sort of some irreconcilable conflict and do you apply later in time or, or what, what do you really do? Right. So let's, let me unpack that a little bit to make sure that, that everybody uh, understands. So that the, the fact pattern, imagine we had a foreign corporation with a, a store in the U.S., mm -hmm. an office or fixed place of business. You know, Company X, it's got its, you know, title on the whatever. It's a store, I mean, with it's selling stuff, mm -hmm. right? So we would say, okay, well, that we've got a U.S. trader business. Presumably there would be some U.S. tax. Well, if the, the, the property was manufactured outside the U.S., I think there was some kind of ambiguity of depending where title transferred, but we'll leave that off to the side. Mm -hmm. I think the, the question was, and this was raised, I think, um, in, in an article, on a number of panels. There's been a lot of discussion about this, but it seemed like you know trying to square the historic 865 rule and then this new 863B, the question was, well, does this change in 863B mean that if a foreign corporation has an office or fixed place of business, if the, all the property is manufactured outside the U.S., is that income now just not subject to tax, even though Company X has a store here where Company X is selling that property? property. And I think a number of us were like, well, is that, is that, is that too good to be true? Is that right? And then it, 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 unpack a little bit more as far as how, you know, the, the language in 865, I think we were questioning, you know, how that, how that squares with 863B. Right. So, you know, when we were asking, is that too good to be true? Because that is, if you just look at the new 863B, that is what it seems to be saying, yeah, right? But then you take into account this 865 U.S. office rule, you know, people very quickly got concerned that when it says, notwithstanding any other provision of the code, that that would 
just override 863B. But that would really mean that all the income would be U.S. source because why would it even have been 50-50? And, and so we we're trying to square that with the IRS practice in the past. And that rule never to, changed, right? The 865 exactly. did not change from U.S. tax reform. Exactly. And the legislative history to the 863B uh, provisions, you know, it, it sort of cryptically discusses this rule. It says it's still out there. And it says, you know, normally uh, if you have a person manufacturing abroad and selling into the U.S., um, you know, we still have 865E2, but that, hey, it will be 50-50 anyway. And so it, it kind of, I think, acknowledged uh, the IRS practice. And then the preamble to these proposed regulations that we're going to discuss shortly, you know, goes through all of that. Mm-hmm. But there was still, there, there was no real formal guidance on this. You know, again, like I said, if you're prudent, you avoid the issue by just using a separate entity anyway. Right. But it, 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 there, was, there was a lot of ambiguity that I think um, helpfully got cleared up. Perfect. So before we dive into the 863B regs, just maybe just a couple minutes on treaties, just to, mm-hmm. to remind listeners. So we've been talking a lot about the U.S. statutory rules. Generally, those rules apply for those taxpayers that do not have a have a treaty with the with the U.S. But can you can you remind us kind of treaty versus statutory? And then I know there are a number of exceptions in, in treaties that generally don't exist for the, the statutory purposes. Sure. Um, so going back a little bit to what we were saying earlier, right? If you are just under regular U.S. tax law and you're engaged in a U.S. trade or business, uh, if you've got U.S. source inventory sales, which let's just assume it's under the title passage rule, that we have a force of attraction that will cause all of those U.S. inventory sales to be subject to U.S. tax as effectively connected income. Whether there's really any factual connection uh, to what you're doing in the U.S. and your U.S. activities and those sales of, those, of that inventory. Treaties turn that off. And so generally speaking, what a treaty would say is a, a resident of a treaty country that qualifies for the treaty benefits is only going to be a, a subject to tax uh, with respect to these sales to the extent that they have a permanent establishment in the U.S., and the income is attributable to that permanent establishment. Now, permanent establishment is a higher threshold than a uh, than the uh, sort of U.S. trader business threshold, so yep. that's helpful. There are some specific rules that have specific exceptions uh, that tell you something that is not a permanent establishment and includes, uh, for example, just simple warehousing functions right. in the United States. Um, and then, you know, this, the, but in general... Uh, the U.S. office rule that we have under our domestic law is pretty similar to our permanent establishment standard. So if you're in a scenario where your foreign uh, person was treaty qualified, but they were within the U.S. office rule, you know, the treaty there probably isn't going to help them a whole lot. Right. But it absolutely would help those folks who are, uh, you know, just passing title in the U.S. and maybe have some minor activity in the, uh, in, in the U.S. or some warehousing functions. Got it. All right, so I think that kind of gives us some some helpful context. So so now that brings us then to these proposed regulations that we got for for 863B that also really kind of talk about or that also influenced the analysis under 865. So give us a, an overview of 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 the regulations. Sure. Um and I think so the 863B part of the regulations is actually nothing really earth shattering because we had existing 863B regulations that told us, you know, where was property produced. Those are still relevant. Um, you know, as I said before, there was this method you could use to allocate between production and 
uh, and sales, which is called the independent factory price method. That's gone now. Yep. We still have the 50-50 safe harbor. We still have this books and records method. But the really interesting change in this package of proposed regulations is actually an, a new proposed regulation under Section 865. Mm -hmm. And what it tries to do is finally provide regulations applying the U.S. office rule that we've been talking about and also coordinating that rule with 863B uh, for taxpayers who uh, both produce the property outside the U.S. and then sell it into the U.S. through a U.S. office. Right. So, so what, what are those changes? Because it's interesting because they're, they're going to sound very familiar with what we just recently talked about, too. So, so what are those changes? So they clear up this ambiguity of which trumps. Is it 863B or is it 865E2 U.S. office rule? And they actually, in a, in a way, they strike a compromise. And while they don't quite restore the status quo, uh, they do let uh, taxpayers, foreign taxpayers, essentially say, look, if you're both producing this and selling it through a U.S. office, you are going to have to attribute a portion to the production activity, and we will give you the foreign source income on that under 863B, and then we'll attribute another portion of that to the sales activity, and you have to run that through the U.S. office rule. And you know, in terms of how much to attribute, it's 50-50, or you can use this books and records method where you know, essentially if through transfer pricing methodology you can establish that more or less of it is attributable to the sales activity, uh, then, then you can do so. So am I oversimplifying things to say that they that, that Congress changed the rule in 863B for purposes of our sourcing, which impacts for the U.S. outbounds, the, 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 the foreign tax credit, as we've discussed. Um, but then for 865, so for our inbounds, so for those foreign companies that are trying to determine whether they have U.S. tax, they've really created a rule within 865 that mirrors the pre-reform rule in 863B for purpose of determining how much those foreign persons with a U.S. trade or business, how much of that U.S. income should be, sub should be subject to U.S. tax. So you're oversimplifying it, but only very slightly. Okay. And the reason is, is because this, you know, before tax reform, right, um, if if we had the U.S. office and the foreign production, uh, you, you know, there's this question, but the IRS let you use this 50-50 or books and records method. That they've sort of formalized, and they absolutely have put it back to the status quo. Yep. Um, but before tax reform, if you had a uh, the situation where a foreign taxpayer is producing abroad, selling into the U.S. Uh, you know, with U.S. title passage and maybe U.S. trader business, but no U.S. office that's participating in the sale – then before this, you would have still been in the 50-50, uh, 863B allocation rules. And, and there, there wouldn't have been the ambiguity that we had with respect to the U.S. office rule. That part is not restored to the status quo. Got it. Right? So if you don't have a U.S. office, these new, this new 865 proposed reg really applies specifically to where you're selling through a U.S. office and also producing abroad. So... Um, you know, if you don't have the U.S. office, but you do have U.S. title passage, then I think now you're just under the statutory framework of 863B Got as it. amended. It's all foreign source. Right. And it goes back to the concern, I think, that Treasury had 
you know, which we've seen in a lot of the different areas through the cross-border tax talks as a result of U.S. tax reform, kind of this unintended consequence of potentially whether company X, in my example, that has the office or fixed place of business in the U.S. with the foreign production, whether that should even be subject to U.S. tax. And so that they were that was the, the fact pattern that they I think the Treasury was was focused on. They talk about that in the preamble to really try to give guidance to taxpayers that know they're that. 50% of that, or based on books and records, should be subject to, to, to U.S. tax. Mm-hmm. Any other thing? There, there were also a number of, a lot of details on, on depreciation and, you know, uh, other types. Any other highlights from, from the 863B regs? I feel like that has gotten the, the most airtime, certainly, and I think it really is the most relevant for both, frankly, U.S. multinationals that are operating abroad and importing into the U.S., as well as foreign-based multinationals that are importing into the U.S., because obviously you can be a U.S. multinational or a foreign-based multinational still import to the U.S., Mm -hmm. depending on what the supply chain. But any other notable things within those regulations that you'd like to highlight? You know, there's not a whole lot. I think everything in the regulations that else that's in there is they certainly have rules that talk about uh, depreciation rules and how do you source... uh, you know, income from the sale of personal property that you've been depreciating, so like capital assets that you're using mm-hmm. in your trader business, where you might have been using depreciation deductions to, uh, you know, to deduct against your otherwise U.S. taxable income. Uh, they've got some tweaks to the sourcing rules for space and ocean activity, and and talking about what happens when you produce property in space or international waters and then sell it, and you know, those I think coordinate as well with the 865 uh, regs and the U.S. office rules and, and things like that. I mean, so I, I think they really took the opportunity here um, to to look at some of the ambiguities that had existed even under prior law mm-hmm. and, and said, we've got this opportunity here. We've got to provide some guidance under 863B because of the change. Let's sort of clean everything up and make it a little bit more administrable. Let's take those you know, past 20, 30 years of experience that we've had and issues that we've seen and and maybe provide the taxpayer some certainty and, and we will i like to pause and reflect on that that because I, I have gotten some some emails with respect to we can be a little critical of treasury here on the cross-border tax talks but a herculean effort obviously with u.s tax reform and i think that we can see that in a lot of reg packages that we've mm-hmm. seen that you know some of this historic a- ambiguity where we've done plenty of navel gazing as advisors mm-hmm. over the course of the last couple several decades that they've really taken this opportunity to clarify or provide some guidance on issues that were maybe less clear and i think this is this is a great example of that i yeah i completely agree with that i mean this is a uh when you look at this reg package, and obviously it's not the biggest one that they've put out as no. a result of tax reform, but I really think that the choices they made here make a lot of sense. There's there's not any giveaways to taxpayers here, right? I mean, the, the key thing to remember here is I did mention that the one type of taxpayer that would get an advantage here would be the foreign seller that produces outside the U.S., passes title in the U.S., um, but doesn't have a U.S. sales office, you know, and so they could be now all foreign source. But you know, that's a function of the statutory change. That's right. there's nothing that Treasury could do to shut that down. That's clearly within Congress's intent. And while you know, and by the way, those people would have to also not be in treaty countries because um, they'd have to be under the domestic standard and force of attraction. Exactly. Right. Uh, if they didn't have the U.S. office, they wouldn't have a permanent establishment anyway. Right. So you know, you don't give up a lot of revenue from that. 
but it's clearly within scope of what the statutory change did, weighed against the fact that you raise a whole bunch of revenue by having your exporters uh, have now all, for, all U.S. source income and be much more limited in being able to take their foreign tax credits, right? So with that small exception for the inbounds, with that very small class that might get an advantage under the statute, everyone else, I think, these regs are, you know, they, they put you really where, from a policy perspective, I think you should be, right? right? One can make the argument that you say, well, no, 865E2, U.S. office rule should completely trump, and if a, if a foreign manufacturer uses a U.S. sales branch, it should be all U.S. sources. Like, well, a rule like that doesn't make any sense because right. it doesn't raise you any revenue because you will just use an affiliate when it's perfectly appropriate. Exactly. So now, you know, it, it kind of puts you in this, look, this is the, this is the result that you would achieve anyway um, we're going to have regs that provide you more certainty as to how it works. We take some ambiguity off the table, and now you don't have to you know, resort to some additional legal complexity with setting up new entities if you don't want to. Right. So maybe the last thing then are uh, effective dates. So, I mean, this is one of the challenges that we have with, with U.S. tax reform. And so won't go into some of the detailed specifics of the effective dates, but my, my, my understanding, because, I mean, this is the, the challenge is these are proposed regs, right? And so I think that mm-hmm. the taxpayers can elect to apply the proposed yes. regs back to um, when tax reform happened, even these are proposed regs, so they won't be actually effective until the date that they are actually published as final. And so, so that way, at least it gives taxpayers the opportunity to be able to, to rely on these regs. But we will have this potential window where these issues, the, the, the complexities and the issues that we talked about, particularly with, with, with Company X, you know, if a company would elect not to apply that, you know, for, for two years, what, how do those rules apply? What is that standard, as we talked about, comparing 865 to 863? Yeah. And, and so, you know, if I'm focusing on the inbounds more specifically, yep. right, um, you you don't have to apply these proposed regs. You could you know keep yourself under the older regs. And if you're someone who is you know uh, under the the um, 863B and you're sort of allocating before and you're using independent factory price, uh, you know if you don't have a U.S. office and you are using that independent factory price method, that's going to be gone once these regs go final. I suppose you could still use that. Yeah. Right. If we're talking about the U.S. office rule here, right. Um, what are you going to do? Are you going to not apply these proposed regulations? Well, the consequence of that is, if, if you do have this issue, is that you know the preamble does tell you that you know look after we've reviewed this, we've let taxpayers do this, but you know 865 E2 does say notwithstanding any other provision of the code. So you know if you're in that issue, you're probably just going to go ahead and apply the proposed regs because you're not going to get a better result by not applying them. Exactly. All right. Well. Nils, this has been a fantastic discussion, um, a lot of complicated issues, but I think you've done a great job helping break it down. And as a guy who you know started early point of his career doing a lot of outbound and really the last half of my career doing a lot more inbound, this stuff still gets me up in, in, in knots, And uh, um, but you provide a lot of clarity, so thank you. Absolutely. So thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks. Thanks again to Nils Cousins, a director in PwC's WNTS practice focusing on inbound taxation. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's international tax services leader in the U.S. You can follow me on Twitter at Exporter Tax and LinkedIn at Doug McConey. Stay tuned in two weeks for another exciting edition of Cross-Border Tax Talks. 